Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Well, good morning again. Can I get a good morning too? Yeah, all right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so welcome to week chapter 8 in our spiritual gifts series. And if you're joining us for the first time, we're really glad that you're here and you're joining us uh, almost near the end of this journey together. Now, I just want to say if you've got a Bible, a paper version, or a Wi-Fi version, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, that's where we're going to sort of hang out uh, today. So it's Christmas time, isn't it? The malls have changed, the music is singing, the reindeers are out, people are finally putting up their lights. Now, all of you who come to this community know that I have an addiction. I am a Christmaholic. You all know that, right? And uh, you know that when I'm handing out candy at Halloween and yelling at people for their satanic outfits, I'm putting up the crash at the same time in response. Uh, my, my problem is we're moving. Joanne and I have bought a new house, and so I'm in withdrawal. There is nothing going on in my house that is Christmas-oriented. I have no clue what's going on. I'm deeply in trouble. We, we were joking about that this week, and as we were thinking about this whole experience of Christmas, Carmen and Janice Burns started making some jokes about Christmas, and specifically about work and its relation to Christmas parties. That got me thinking about the fame thing that many of us do in our culture. You know what I'm about to talk about. I've used it before. It is the famous gift exchange at work. You know what I'm talking about? You have a $5 gift, you go, you put it under the tree, and then you're supposed to, of course, pick it up. It can be stolen three times. That's the rule. Three times, not four. And some of you shake the gifts. Don't do that. That breaks the rules too. And so you get the gift and you do this. Well, I was thinking a lot about that this week. See, some of you don't follow the rules. Some of you bring last year's gift, don't you? You know it's true. You know who you are. You're not even, you're just cheap enough that you won't even buy a $5 gift. Some of you give us your relatives' gifts thinking we won't know that it's from your relatives. We know the ugly tie was not bought at the dollar store. Others of you buy the $5 gift. My wife one year decided to do that. She bought gold-bound powder. Thought that would be an interesting thing under the tree. Fine. Some of you buy $20 gifts. I just want to say to you, we don't like you. You make us all look bad. We love your gift. You, not so much. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, the intensity that happens around this gift and this gift game. People get intense and violent and insane. Friendships go out the windows. And especially the devious nature of leaders comes out. If you're best friends with someone or you're married, you know what I'm talking about. You begin to work together as a team to get the gift you want. You break all the Ten Commandments to get the gift you think you should get. Now, we know what the battle is, right? The Tim Horton cards, right? That's a highly, def that's, that's fought over. Starbucks, Starbucks cards, also there. The Ferrero Rocher chocolates, which I detest. I don't know why some of you like them, but people fight over them. But the real battle around gift exchanges are over the stupidest, cheesiest gifts none of us would ever buy ourselves. It's the cheese spreaders, right? It's the wine identifiers that we all have on our wine glass. We would never use that. Or it's the bad crafts that you yourself would never ever even create if you're crafty. The one I brought today is this though, because this is the type of gift that people get so intense about right here. Now, first of all, like Pavlov's dogs, there's a ring. Can you hear that? So when there's a ring, you get more intense. But this is the type of thing we fight over. I'm one fruitcake away from a Yuletide meltdown. Like, 
What is this? By the way, just to the staff, if I give this to you at the exchange in two weeks, don't judge me, okay? <laughs> don't judge me, right? Don't judge me. But you know what I'm talking about. Gifts, these gift exchanges are all like this, and people get really involved. But someone always gets the loser gift, don't they? And you're, everyone's like, oh, that's such a bad gift. And they're like, oh. You, and then the whole night, you really want this gift. No, no, we don't. No, no, you really, no, we don't. Now, as I was thinking about that experience, and I won't talk about our staff, because our staff sins greatly, and so do the elders, by the way, when we do this. Uh, Carmen made a joke, and he said, you know, you know, some people think that the spiritual gifts thing could be like a gift exchange. And I went, that's absolutely true. So many of us want to treat the spiritual gifts like that type of thing, where we want to gang up with others to get gifts we think we deserve, or we think we got the loser gift and everyone else got a better gift, and so we're trying to pawn off what God has done or is trying to do in our life because we think we know better. And yet, if we could, as a family, get in the place, please hear this, if we could get in the place where we would not treat God's gifts in us and to us as anything but love, we would begin to have joy in our Christian walk that many of us do not have. So many of us spend our lives trying to be someone else or even trying to get gifts that were never assigned to us supernaturally. And we waste our life spiritually. And though we would never say we would ever want to do a gift exchange with God's gifts, we do live in that reality. Here is the truth that we need to continue to understand as a community here and online. Jesus, through his spirit, sovereignly chooses the gifts we get. And if we get okay with how he's equipped us and how he's made us, and we begin to serve there and we get under the lordship of Jesus and say, yes, I'm fine, at that moment, you will start experiencing profound joy. Why? Because the purpose of your life is finally becoming a reality. Don't waste your life trying to be something God never intended you to be. Oh, how much weeping there will be on Judgment Day when Christian after Christian will face Jesus and though they will be saved and will spend eternity with him, they will never truly fulfill what they were called to do here on earth because they spent their life trying to find or do something Jesus never asked them to be or do. There's joy in front of us. The question is, do we want it? Now, as we've been talking about as a community, there are 21, at least 21, spiritual gifts in Scripture. And we've been breaking them down in three simple ways. Another author gave us, gave us this idea. You can break them down in love gifts, in word gifts, and power gifts. Love gifts manifest the love of God in, in practical ways. Word gifts clarify the nature, the actions, the purposes of God. And power gifts demonstrate the power the presence, the very reality of God among people just like us. Now today we're going to continue on our path of understanding and we're going to explore two more gifts. The gift of faith and the gift of discernment of spirits. Both of these gifts are talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll start in verse 7. The scriptures reads like this. Now to each one, that's to Christians, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of that same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits. Now let's start with the gift of faith this morning. The gift of faith 
is a significant gift in our community and every local church on earth. But before we get to that, let's just define what faith is. Faith could be translated simply as this, informed trust. That's all that is. It's informed trust. It's not just pie in the sky. It's not, I hope this is true. It's trust in a living person who has proven himself time and time again. And so his written word and even his situational promptings are trustworthy. Because of who Jesus is, we can trust in what he says and even what he does and what he promises. Now, all Christians, by the way, are called to have faith. Not the gift of faith, but faith. The author of Hebrews is clear in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those that earnestly seek him. If you are a Christian here today, you also know this is true when you met Jesus personally. St. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works no one gets to boast. If you're a Christian, you have had a faith encounter. That is that you chose to move your trust, your faith from yourself or from another religion or another worldview or from your very evil or neutral or very religious past and declared to heaven and us and the world, I will not trust anything but Jesus alone. Salvation is the opposite of religion. Religion says, trust in others, trust in you, and then you'll be okay. Our faith is trust in Jesus alone, by his work alone, in his word alone. For we never will have enough to do what must be done to get back to God. We can never bridge that gap between us and a holy God and a loving God. That is why Jesus came for us when we could not get back to him. Good place to say, amen. That is the heartbeat of our faith. It's all about trusting God. It's all about trusting his character. It's all about trusting his revealed will. I love what Elizabeth Elliot wrote years ago when she said, faith is not a natural instinct. She said it's not a feeling. Feelings don't help when you're in a lion's den or you're dying on a wooden cross. Faith is not inferred either from happy ways things work out. It is an act of the will. It is a choice based on the unbreakable word of God that does not lie, who shows us in its written word what love and obedience and sacrifice means in the person of Jesus Christ. Every one of us is called to have faith. Every one of us, if we're a Christian, has encountered faith. But the spiritual gift of faith is different than those two things. So let me give you three definitions, three different authors' views on what faith looks like and why. One person wrote, the gift of faith is that special ability God gives certain Christians to discern, keyword, with extraordinary confidence that the will and purpose of God will work. The second one is the gift of faith refers to the unusual capacity of a person to recognize in a given situation that God intends to do something and to trust God for it until it's actually brought to pass. Others write it this way. The gift of faith is a spirit-given ability to see something that God wants done and to sustain unwavering confidence that God will do it regardless of seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Now, this key gift is at the heartbeat of our church. Some of you have written off people with the gift of faith and you've called them emotional or naive, but they're not. They are God-inspired, faith-filled people. The lifeblood of a local church has to be faith. 
Many of you want to believe like this, but your life and your history and your personal loss and your unmet expectations and your struggles with church or people have made you cautious at best and jaded and unbelieving at worst. Yet God gives this gift among us so we can keep going with heaven's blessing and unnatural confidence. Yet do not forget this morning that the purpose for faith, the reason why it is there, is not to have faith in faith itself, but it's for God's glory. As one wrote, the gift of faith always brings God's glory out. It can reveal who God is and what he intends to do. The gift of faith among us can be used to exhort the church to pray and believe when believing is waning. It can come up in individuals to meet a crisis of life or a communal crisis that we face as a church. But also it can be there to fulfill the inspirational function of leadership. Much of the time, those with the gift of leadership will also, either in their circle or themselves, have people with a gift of faith. Now here's a number of possible symptoms of this gift written by another to tell you that you might actually have this gift. Is this you? Think about yourself as I say this. You have an unusual desire to accept God's promises at face value and to apply them to given situations until God fulfills them. You receive what you believe is a vision of some future work of God, and you trust in God until it comes to pass. You have a reoccurring experience in the midst of situations to sense that God is about to do something unusual, even though everyone around you has no kind of assurance at all. You have an unusual desire to know God in his fullness, and to be cast on him and him alone for solutions to problems. You love, and this is wild, you love the thrill of knowing time and time again that God is real because he and he alone has specifically, in detailed ways, intervened on your behalf and you've journaled it. You have an attitude that says things like this, not only that God can do something, but he will do something, and in fact, in many cases, you know God has already done it and you're just waiting to see it. Many of you have this gift, but you didn't know it was a gift. You just thought all Christians were like that. Let me reassure you as a pastor, not all Christians are like you at all. One of the best historic examples of the gift of faith, though there's many in Scripture and church history, is one I mentioned weeks ago. A famous guy named George Mueller who ended up living in England. His story is now being generationally lost to the generation underneath me, but let me bring it back again. Let me read another summary of another person as he talks this through. He writes this, almost every book that discusses the gift of faith refers to the life and ministry of a guy named George Mueller, who by faith, listen to this please, operated an orphanage in Bristol, England. He cared for 10,000 orphans over 60 years, receiving 5 million pounds in the process. He began to work with only two shillings in his pocket, without, and this is the key phrase everyone, without once making known any of his needs. Now, this is historically accurate. Without once ever doing an appeal, he received enough money to build five large homes able to, fill two, to feed 2,000 orphans on a regular basis. Day by day, there would be no food in the pantry. They would thank God for the food that was not there, and every day, food would show up. One of the best ways and stories that demonstrates this gift uh, comes from his experience when he was in his 70s. He was crossing, actually, the Atlantic from England, actually, to Canada. Here's how the story goes. It says a transatlantic sea captain was on his bridge, think about this, for 22 hours off the coast of Newfoundland 
because there was a dense fog. Suddenly he was startled by a tap on his shoulder. It was George Mueller, now in his 70s. And this is what this old man says to this captain. Can you imagine how stressed this guy is? 22 hours, no sleep, dense fog. This is Titanic time, right? Here's what Mueller says. Captain, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. This is Wednesday. When the captain said it was impossible, Mueller replied this way, recorded. Well, if your boat cannot take me, sir, God will find some other way. I've never broken an engagement in 57 years. And then he said, what can I do to help? Well, he said, why don't we uh, uh, pray? And he said, Mr. Mueller, look around. Don't you see how dense the fog is? I love his response. Sir, he said, my eye is not on the fog, but on the God who controls the fog and every circumstance in my life. Suddenly, the 70-year-old, recorded in history, is now down on his knees. Mueller prayed one of the simplest prayers the captain had ever heard, thought it was maybe fit for a nine-year-old child. And this is what he actually prayed. Oh God, if you would remove the fog in five minutes, I will know the engagement is for you. Amen. Then he stood up. He put his hand on the captain's shoulder and stopped the captain from praying. He said, sir, first, you don't even believe God will do it. And second, I believe he's done it. So there's no need for you to pray anymore. Love it. And then he says this. Captain, open the door. You'll find the fog is gone. He opened it, and it was gone. Mueller kept that famous engagement in Quebec City, and this is what he wrote later in his his journal in a very humble way. It pleased the Lord to give me, in some cases, something like a gift of faith. Love it. So that unconditionally I could ask and always look for his answer. The truth is we love these stories in church. But we reduce them to history. We read these great stories and we end up saying, I wish that could happen again. I hope. Uh, Wouldn't it be great if God would do this? And then we move on with Swishalay in life. But I need to declare this morning, I am not willing for us as a church to keep moving on. My call to you this morning is this. Who among us will be the next George Mueller for our own church in our country? Who in this generation will rise up with selfless and radical faith? Who will stand and say to the rest of us, even in this church, your imaginations are not truly from the Lord. You do doubt and you do not understand what the Lord is about to do. You do not see what heaven sees. The Caleb's among us want us to go into the promised land, but some of us will say the giants are too big. But those among us who have the gift of faith, whether they are leaders formally or not, they will be hope-filled, confident, steadfast, unwavering, and full of unnatural peace. What a gift you are to us, a doubting, systematic, westernized, strategic planning type community that we are. The question I have for you this morning is this. Is this you? Do you have the gift of faith? As I've mentioned, much of the time faith is connected with gifts of leadership or intercession or works of power, healing, It's even actually connected to administration when they work together right. Do you have the gift? Because if you are, we desperately in this church need your heaven-filled understanding. And even more than that, we actually need your childlike trust. One of the great things so many of us sitting here today as adults have lost is childlike trust. We want it back desperately, but it's gone. And those with the gift of faith bring that back to us for a moment. That moves us to our second gift today, 
It's the gift of discernment of spirits, which really, at its heart, is God's ability to let us know truth, error, or evil. It's about source, by the way. It's not about what appears on the surface, bizarre, normal, or neutral. Now, I need to say this morning, and I want everyone please to lean in and listen to this. Every one of us are called to be discerning. We're called to know God, to know his truth, to know what is non-negotiable, what's gray, and where we can connect and where we can't. Every Christian is called to give one's full allegiance to Jesus alone, to allow his truth, that is his scriptures, to permeate our lives and to walk in heaven-given power. We're called to be rooted in the living word and hear him through his written word. I mean, the author of Hebrews put it this way, talking about the holy scriptures. Hebrews 5.14, solid food, he says, is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Every one of you, and myself included, are called to be rooted in the written word of God so we know that we know that we know what is good and what is not. I mean, Luke recorded it this way in Luke 17 as Paul was out preaching about Jesus. He says in Acts 17.11, there were some Berean Jews. They were more noble in character than anyone else in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. I mean, that's discernment at its heart. Even Jesus' best friend brought it home in such a powerful way when he wrote these words in 1 John 4, 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, every person, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God or not, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John says to us through the Holy Scriptures these words, Everyone, whether you like it or not, whether you're comfortable or not, we live in a supernatural world, and we are called to discern. We are called to see, to test all teaching and all supernatural experiences. Why? Because many false prophets, either empowered by unholy spirits or themselves, have gone into the world. Don't forget the context. He's responding to Gnostics that were all about secret knowledge and experience, and leaders were standing up in church services and teaching and prophesying and speaking on tongues. And all the experiences were actually real, but they were not from God. So what John teaches us here is to evaluate experience and teaching, word and deed. We must look at the utterance that comes from a person and even look at the person themselves and see what spirit they're inspired from. And let me declare this again this morning to you. Every single person who speaks in a church community and displays a supernatural experience, and I'm talking about teaching as one, administration, no matter, there is a spirit connected to them. There is another force involved. This is not just some distant influence, but a symbiotic relationship between person and spirit. Some people it's from God, some people it's invented, some people it's supernaturally evil. Now growing up in conservative churches like I did, I was taught that all supernatural experience and all that emotional stuff was dangerous. It's made up, it's psychological, it's all evil, or God doesn't act that way anymore. So let's just all dismiss it and move on. We don't do things like that here, good or bad. Now that makes life easy for the leadership, not needing to deal with the messiness of the supernatural or begin to interpret and discern what's really going on. But that's not dealing with reality. And that's not what John tells us to do. He doesn't say, well, it's been abused in your history, so it's not real. Or he doesn't say it could be abused, so don't expect God to work in power. Or he doesn't say it's all evil, so just run. He says, test. And for him, the origin matters. The source matters. 
We really need to understand this this morning. The experiences can look the same. Teaching, speaking in tongues, prophecy. When it's done by God, hear this please, or by people inspired by evil, most of the time you will not be able to tell the difference. And that's the point. It's the source that matters. The question is, what outlet are you plugged into? That is the fundamental question of Scripture. And of course, over time, the results reflect the source. John says that we are called as a community to be discerning. We are not called to be dismissive. And notice, John says together, all of you test the spirits. The implication is spiritual discernment is an obligation of the church and its leadership. But as we read further, something else emerges. We begin to realize that though we're all called to be discerning, some people actually have the spiritual gift of discernment of spirits. Let me give you a few definitions of how others worked it out. One said that this gift is the ability that God gives some to perceive issues in terms of spiritual truth, to know the fundamental source of the issues, and to give judgment concerning those issues. That even includes the recognition of spiritual forces operating in that space. Another person said it's to distinguish truth from error, discerning spirits, differentiating what's good, evil, right, and wrong. One of the best definitions is this. It is the ability that God gives some which enables them to know with assurance that certain behavior purported to be from God really is from God, is actually made up by the person or satanic. Now here are some symptoms that myself and a few others have written out that actually may tell you you have this gift. And by the way, it's like Lego. They, they build. One of the first things is you have a keen sense for recognizing inconsistencies. Well, that doesn't mean because you're logical you have this gift. You get 50%. Done. It's not like that. It's a deeper thing. Not only do you have a good grasp of scriptural truth, you have a deep underlying sense of conviction which will not allow you to rest when you know people are being given a half-truth a misapplied truth or a false teaching, and you act upon it. You have an unusual sensitivity or even intuitive grasp of people or situations. You often and usually quickly notice when public speakers give wrong interpretations or misapply the scriptures. Another version is this. You will get a glimpse of the behind-the-scenes reality of what's going on. You will get a mental picture, a, a word, a scripture. You will physically or spiritually know that something is wrong. You will either sense the presence of demons in people or areas or places, or you may even see them. Now, this author continues by saying that in the early church, and I would add in these churches today, this gift is used in many ways to distinguish truth from non-truth when prophecy is given. Uh, with the holy scriptures that we have, this gift can be used to discern whether teaching is on target or off target. It can be used to protect the church from heretical tendencies in teaching or practice. And it can be used to understand the source of a particular activity generated by the Holy Spirit or a person or even the demonic. Now notice as I'm outlining this quickly this morning, this gift is multifaceted. I find when I interview people with this gift that this gift tends to function in one way, maybe two, but not all three. Many, with, many of you with this gift will know God is actually really in a situation. You get the really cool version of this gift, in my opinion. You continually know when God is in the house. You know then when God is with a person or situation, you just have this intuitive, God-given sense that when God is there, you're like, yes, 
God is really here. Second, others of you will know when things look, uh, you will know things when they look good, but the motives aren't good. So let me invent an example. It is an invented example, I hope. I get up to preach this sermon right now. Okay. It's fine in presentation, I hope. The theology is okay. We'll see by the end. And then some of you could say this. I'm saying amen to everything you're saying, John. But as I'm listening to you, I'm saying yes to what Scripture is saying. But I have this sense, at this moment, your motives are off. I, I can't explain it, but just, mm, it's not about the what, it's the why. What, what's going on? That's discernment, if you've got the gift. If you don't, stop judging me right now. Thank you. Okay. Uh, others of you will be able to distinguish truth from error, even if mo- motives are pure. I don't know if you've ever hung out with someone, and they've been 100% convinced, and they're just wrong. You're sitting with a Mormon or a New Ager, or you're sitting with a fellow Christian, and they've just gone a little off, and they have no wrong motives. There's no malice. There's nothing hidden or secretive. They're just sincerely wrong. People with a gift of discernment will start cluing in right about there. Others of you will actually know when the demonic are present. You will sense that they are there. You will sense their presence in people and houses and situations. You will know no matter what is happening, overtly or not, that there is something actually present that needs to be dealt with. Now, there are two great examples in Scripture uh, that we can find. There's more, but there's two great ones with this gift. One is Jesus and one is Peter. Turn to Mark 8, 27 real quick. And let me read this to you. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, this is great. Who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Jesus said, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, well, you're the Messiah. Now, let's just stop right there. Peter, for the first time, confesses the truth. He's not just a rabbi or a teacher, not just a prophet. No, you're the one we've been waiting for for thousands of years. Actually, you're the one, think about this, that was talked about all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone. There's a reason why. Verse 31, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and three days later he'd rise again. So right when Peter gets it right, Jesus says, so now you know who I am, let me tell you why I've come. He spoke plainly about this, watch this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Uh Uh-oh. Peter begins to tell the living God of heaven and earth how to run things. Not a good move. When Jesus turns around, he looked at the disciples, and notice the language. He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Peter. No. Get behind me, Lucifer. Satan, you do not have the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Here's what's going on. Jesus is finally identified He finally shares why he has come to die for all of us sitting in this room. And immediately, Peter sins. But it's not just Peter's sin. See, he notice it. He actually says, human concerns. It's not only his sin, though. He says, also Lucifer's involved. The implication of this text is not that just, here's Peter and Satan's way back here whispering. It's actually that either Satan is right behind Peter or actually in him. 
And immediately through this gift of discernment, Jesus looks right through Peter, calls him on his own sin, and then says to the force behind Peter, trying to stop Jesus from doing what he's come to do, he says, go. That's discernment. Now, amazingly, because God is a grace-filled, renewing God, Peter gets the gift of discernment later. Isn't that great? He gets the very gift that Jesus used to deal with him. Acts 5. Turn there real quick and then we'll be done. Acts 5. There's a man named Ananias. Together with his wife Sapphira. By the way, both Christians. They sold a piece of property. With the wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, most church leaders would be excited. Don't you think at this moment? People are given land. Awesome. They're tithing, finally, someone. What does Peter say? Ananias? How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit, kept for yourself some money that you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money yours at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied to human beings. You've just lied to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Verse 7, three hours later, his wife comes, not knowing what's happened. Peter asks her, gives her an out. Tell me, is this price you and Ananias got for the land? Oh, yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They're going to carry you out also, and she died. Like I said when I preached in Acts, when's the last time you saw this happen in church? But notice what happens. Peter looks right through the situation because it's a gift. And though the giving was happening, he knows that there's a satanic thing involved trying to break the unity of its church right at the beginning of the movement. That's discernment of spirits. Now let me end with one thing, and then Ben's going to come back and we're going to do this. I need to give one caution to all of us today. There's a huge lesson we all need right now. Some of you are saying, yes, that's me. I have that last description. I have a sense of things around people or in places. And I would say to you, fine. I don't doubt it. My question to you is, is it from God? See, spiritual gifts from our side and the other side will look almost the same. Other groups like Muslims and Hindus speak in tongues, and it sounds the same, but it's not from the Spirit of Christ. Many times I've talked to those who are involved in witchcraft, white or black, and they will talk about discernment, but it's not from our side. Most of you think that something evil will appear overtly evil. It's not true. Demons are called angels of light. Lies always, protect, uh, always have 90% of truth. Or some of us think God would never do something so profoundly out of the box that it violates our comfort of history. Well, he probably will. The point is this. What is the source of your experience? Some of you have supernatural insight. You see demons or sense the emotions and thoughts of people or you have abilities. But here's the thing. Everyone listening? You've had them since before you were a Christian. They're not from God. It doesn't matter how profound they are, how vivid they are, how real, how predictive they are. If you have had these gifts before you had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they are not from our side because the Spirit of God gives spiritual gifts at conversion. The Spirit of Antichrist and the Spirit of Christ will look the same, but they're not. So many in this church even have come to me and say, John, I can do this, I sense this, I see this, and I just say, but when and where and how? 
Sometimes it's from Jesus and sometimes it's not. So my question to you and my question to you online is this. If you have these gifts, but they've been in you before you really have met Christ, or you have wonderings now if they're from Christ, are you willing to give up anything that you've relied on, that you've made part of your identity so you can actually be free and only get what Jesus would want to give you? Remember, gifts are not about us or our ego. They are given for God's glory and to build up the church. So as Ben now comes up, and a few with him, I just want to summarize this way. There's the gift of faith, and there's the gift of discernment of spirits. And as we ask every single week in this church, in this series, is this you? Well, if it is, here's what we'd love you to do this morning. We would love you to come forward. There's going to be elders, and you guys can start coming up now, elders and pastors. And we would like to pray for you. We would like to pray that you would have the character you need to use these gifts appropriately. We would like to pray that God would fan into flame what he started to do in your life. Some of you have missed the point in the last few weeks. You've been saying, well, I haven't come forward because it's just for those who are checking out. No, if you've got it, come. Because it's about submitting to the leadership and being blessed and being sent out. Others of you still need to come to the place where you are actually a little bitter. You haven't got the gifts you thought you wanted or needed. And you need to come to leaders and say, I'm so sorry. I want to be okay with how Jesus has made me. Some of you are now realizing at this moment that maybe the gifts that you thought from God were from God aren't from God. And if that's you, you need to come forward and say, I'm willing to give up anything to Jesus because it's more important what he says than what I would say. And lastly, as I've been saying week after week too, it's this, because a lot of us follow this on the podcast. If you've not been prayed over yet and you have administration or mercy or giving or teaching or exhortation, apostleship, leadership, pastoring, you're an evangelist, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, intercession. If you haven't had the chance, just come forward over the next two songs and let's, uh, let's pray over you. So why don't we stand and let's get ready to respond uh, as we're led in song and we'll see what happens. So first of all, we pray right now, Lord Jesus, for our online audience. We pray, God, that you'd give them the character they need. We pray they'd surrender anything that's not of you and that those with the gift of faith and those with the gift of, inter- uh, the gift of discernment would be empowered and used. We also pray in Jesus' name that anyone right now among us that have these gifts would come forward, that would be encouraged, and you'd continue to work out your work and your will in us. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we thank you, Spirit of God, that you give us all different gifts so we can work together to see your kingdom come forward. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's uh, respond in worship and come forward when you're ready. Thank you for joining us. For more teaching, info, or to give financially, please visit us at our website, carotherscreek.ca.